Automotive Hour. Host Lewis Aldersan with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, free tools. We'll try to answer any automotive question you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. That's right. We sure wish you would. It'd be a whole lot more interesting than listening to me and Brian sit here and jack our jaw for an hour. <laughs> That's will, for a fact. I will absolutely guarantee you. But if you force us, we'll do it. That's it. And we'll be here. That's right. Of course, the big thing, we've changed stations. That we have. After 23 years where we were, we are now here. So That's it. A lot of folks haven't learned yet exactly the new station. It's right. 107.3 Talk FM, opposed to where we were before. Correct. And we sure hope you'll tune in and listen. Of course, the format of the show is you call me with any kind of question you might have about your car, and I'll try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's it. Nothing's changed on the front except for a different station. That's right. A little free automotive advice. And what we try to do or we try to specialize in is that we give you unbiased advice so much of the advice you get today, whether it's on the internet or whatever, kind of comes with a little bit of a slant to it. Sure, you really have to be careful as to what information you take as to what actually is going to help you out. That's right. There's a lot of bad information out there that's floating around. You don't know where it came from. Misinformation. Who wrote it. Slanted information. Sure. That's right. Because a lot of times the people who are providing the information are trying to push some type of an agenda. Maybe they're trying to sell a product or whatever. So every time you call this particular product they sell is going to be the answer to your question. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we don't have any access to grind. We don't have anything to sell. So we're just here to provide information. And we're going to our phone lines. we got Mary online. Good morning, Mary. I have a 2007 Silverado. Okay. Um, my truck engine light has come on. It's kind of been on for a little while. Okay. I took it and had the codes run. Uh-huh. You said it was a PO173. Okay. Uh, 171 and a PO300. Okay. There's a couple of possibilities, Mary, but the most common is going to be leaking intake manifold gaskets. That was a fairly common issue with that truck. And they actually redesigned that gasket at some point to come up with an improved model that's supposed to help with that problem. The other possibility would be low fuel pressure. If the fuel pump is starting to go out and the fuel pressure starts to drop, it's going to set pretty much the same codes. Because what's happening, the engine is leaning out. It's got too much air in relation to the fuel. So what I would do is first have a fuel pressure test done. That's real inexpensive, real easy to do. If fuel pressure is adequate, you can go one of two ways. Either you can do what they call a smoke test that's where they fill the intake with smoke and you can actually see it coming out and the other is they can actually spray some type of a volatile material around the base of the intake a little bit and it'll suck in and it actually shows up a leak that way but one other thing too you didn't mention but when the engine is cold does it seem to run a little rougher kind of rough idle i Maybe, yeah, I guess so. Maybe. Yeah, maybe it gets a little better after it warms up because that's uh, common also. What happens is that when you have that problem and the engine's cold, it's running on default readings. So on default readings, it can't deal with lean condition. Now, when it warms up, what happens is the oxygen sensors come online and they can kind of override. So it may get better after it warms up. So anyway, that's the most common thing by far. Okay. All righty. Well, thank you. Hey, thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be a part of the Automotive Hour, we would absolutely love to have you. That's it, and you can actually reach us from anywhere in the world That's right. if you would like. Just you have to know the area codes to get into the United States. Right. I think it's 01 and then 225 and then 291-6901. There you go. That'll get you to us from anywhere in the United States or in the world, for that matter. And we're going back to our lines with Courtney. Good morning, Courtney. Good morning. Yes, ma'am. 
I'm calling. I have a 2010 Chevy Colorado. Okay. And when I pull the hood release, it doesn't stop for me to do it manually. It just pops all the way up. Oh, okay. Has the vehicle ever been wrecked or anything, Courtney? Not that I know of. I bought it used, but it's uh-huh. always done that as long as I've had it. Okay. I tell you, there is actually a recall out for that problem on that vehicle. And some of those slip through. There's like a little secondary hood latch. And what you do is you stick your hand on it and you push it up, and that's like a safety catch. In case the hood latch were to fail and the hood were to start coming up, that safety catch will catch it. For some reason, GM forgot to put that on some of those. So raise the hood, take a look, and if you don't see the safety catch, it doesn't look like it's ever been on there. You know, There's no mark or scratch mm-hmm. or anything missing. Call the dealership where you bought the vehicle, or if you didn't buy it new, then just call any dealership that sells that car and ask them if yours is under recall. And what they'll do is they'll take the VIN number, and they will they can tell you if it is. And if it is, they'll repair that for you free of charge. Right. That is actually the 17-digit code that is on the dashboard. If you look on the driver's side, right about underneath where the inspection sticker would be, mm-hmm. there's a 17-digit code there, and it's also in the door. Make sure the two match. Because that's the code, that's the digits they're going to ask for. Right. So have that ready. All righty. Okay, do you have time for one more question? Oh, you sure. Sure. Okay, also, when I turn on my air conditioner, Mm -hmm. there's a funky smell that comes out (laughs) when I first turn it on. Yeah, kind of a mildew-like smell? Yes. Yeah, what happens there a lot of times, Courtney, is that... The air conditioning is wet because it's taking humidity out of the air. And the evaporator core stays wet, and it can actually get like a little bit of a mildew on it, which makes that nasty smell. There is actually a little module that GMs come out. Some of the later vehicles actually have it in the software where it just runs the fan for a few seconds after you turn it off, and it blows that out. That vehicle didn't come equipped with that, but there is a little module you can get that you can wire in pretty easily. And what it does, it just overrides the key switch so that it runs the fan motor for a few seconds after you turn it off, which dries that core out. And when it gets dry, the bacteria and stuff doesn't form, so that'll get rid of the smell. Another thing you can try, it's right at the base of the windshield. You know what that little grill is on, yes. on the outside? Turn your blower on high and put it on fresh air and go to the outside with something like Lysol or some disinfectant spray. Spray it at the base of the windshield and let it suck it in there. And then... Whenever it's doing it, just reach over and turn the key off and let it sit. And a lot of times, that'll help kill whatever's in there. Okay. All righty. All right, thank you. Hey, thanks for calling. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, we got Patricia online. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, ma'am. Good morning. Good morning. I have a 2003 Honda Pilot. Okay. And basically, ever since I've had the Pilot, I've taken it back in. I can't figure out what it is. But I hear, and I've seen it online, it's like mm-hmm. a clicking noise when it's back out in the morning or now it's doing it all the time but pretty much where does the noise sound like it's coming from patricia's in the front or in the back sounds like the back it sounds like something underneath maybe in the back i thought it was something in the joints and i've seen maybe where other people may have had that but every time i go in because sometimes you think you run over something right and you hear that click kind of noise like you hit something yeah yeah i heard a clicking noise in the front which is a cv joint and of course you'll turn the wheel and it'll go clack, 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 pretty loud. If it's not that, in other words, if it sounds like it's in the back, it's not a whole lot in the back of that vehicle because it's a front-wheel drive vehicle. I would suspect maybe something in the rear brakes. If you touch the brakes, does the noise change? Yeah, okay. yeah, I don't have it. And it's just that one click, you know. Yeah, that's single click? I'm sorry? Uh, just a single click when you back up? Single click. Hmm. Does it do it every time you back up? Well, it's do you doing have... it more frequently, but it doesn't do it every time. Okay. okay. And it's more of a but click and not like a foot or a bump or anything. It's just 
like, like I said, like if you run over a can or something. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Like that. Let me give you a couple of possibilities. If it's more like a deep thump or thud, they have a good deal of trouble with the engine mounts on that vehicle. Okay. If an engine mount breaks, what will happen is that when you shift to reverse, the motor still turn in the right direction, but the torque is reversed, so the whole drivetrain shifts. And if the motor mount is broke, you'll get a bump or a thud. Okay. And then if you put it back in drive, it shifts back the other way. Oh. If it's first thing in the morning, what happens is that when the engine is cold, it idles up just a little bit higher. Like if you look at your tachometer, that RPM gauge, mm-hmm. the RPM will be a little bit higher, which makes it do it worse. During the day, it might not do it as bad because the engine speed will low, slow down. Okay. That would be one thing I can think of. Another what, what, could I do? what could I do about it? Well, it's pretty simple. You just take it to someone, have them check the engine mounts. They're pretty easy to check. can raise the hood and physically inspect them, and they just replace the mount. It's, they're kind of expensive, but not thousands or anything, a few hundred dollars. What you actually need to do is find somebody you trust. Mm-hmm. Take the vehicle in and tell them, look, I need you to ride with me. I need to show you this noise I'm looking for. Right. If you can get the technician in the car that's going to work on it, it's even better. Mm-hmm. Take him out, back up, have it make the noise, and tell him, that's the noise I'm looking that's for. That's it right there. And that way, you're pretty much guaranteed he's going to either find it or he knows what he's looking for. Mm-hmm. Because I've gotten in several vehicles, and it's they couldn't wait or something. I didn't get the noise complaint. I had to try to find it. And it yeah. had several other noises in it. I hear so a whole we bunch don't, of noises. Right. You don't know which one you're looking for. So, yeah, like Brian said, just show it to the person, and that way they could find that pretty easily. Okay. All right. All right, great. Thank hey, you. thanks for calling, Patricia. All right, thank you. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break, and we'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. And that's why cayenne pepper should never be stored in the bathroom. Yeah! Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my car needs a new transmission, but I think there might be some other problems looming in the near future. I might as well get a new car, right? Well, here's what I'll recommend. Take it to the pros at Agco Automotive for a general inspection. They know their stuff and they're mighty honest. They'll be able to see if there's any problems likely in the future and tell you your best option. And if you keep your car, bring it into Agco for regular maintenance and you'll be driving it for a long time. Thank you, Alphonse. You do know it all. Say, are you as good-looking as you are smart? Well, let's just say, I know you wouldn't be disappointed. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us at the Automotive Hour, I'm your host, Lewis Alzan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? Old car won't stop, won't start. There you go. Bell squeaking, brake squeaking. You give us a call, we'll try to give you a little bit of advice. That's it. You know, a lot of folks who listen to this show actually work on their own cars, uh-huh. do it yourself or some what have you, but a lot of people never do and never will. They just exactly. want to know more about the topic. Exactly. You go somewhere and they start throwing acronyms at you you don't well, know what they're talking about that's right. that's right so you can actually go to our website and mm-hmm. there's a whole glossary of automotive terms that's right and acronyms on our site i'm glad you brought that up because 
most of the stuff that we've talked about for the last 23 years is probably contained in that website. I'm sure it is. That is a gigantic website. Well, yeah, it's well over a million words of text in that site, and it's a very, very popular site. We get almost 5,000 hits a day. Wow. Which is that's pretty, a lot. That's for a local. lot for a local site. It sure. really is. But there's several databases on the site. One is the vehicle questions. And that is a short, to-the-point answer to a particular question. Direct question, yeah. Sure. What does 5W30 mean? Okay. If you want to know the answer to that, well, just look it up in the, in the questions. Con- and it's going to give you just a short, to-the-point answer. You know, the 5 means the low end. That is the viscosity when the oil is cold. Uh-huh. W means winter grade, or it doesn't have to be changed out in the winter and summer. It's suitable for both. The 30 is the viscosity when the oil is hot. Correct. But if you want to understand more about viscosity, then, then you go to detailed topics. And correct. then that'll be an article with maybe a thousand words or more with photographs, pictures, that sort of stuff. That'll tell you all about what viscosity is, why it's important, why you might want to use it in one vehicle, or why you want to use the proper viscosity. Most probably a lot more information than you ever wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That address is www.agcoauto.com, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Pop on there, see what you think. I think you'll really like it. And we're going back to the phone lines with Jim. Good morning, Jim. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Doing great, sir. Good. I'm calling you from Palmdale, California. Okay, and great. I got a, you know, we're in the high desert where it gets to be over 100 degrees pretty yes, much sir. every day. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering with this uh, 2013 Honda Accord uh, Cross Tour that I have. Yes, sir. How good the maintenance minder is for, well, not just oil change, but it also does the same reminding for transmission changes and so forth. Do you think these things are semi-reliable? Jim, I don't like them. Because I have, in, in my estimation, we've got a lot of customers that have them, and we'll look at them and we'll do a physical inspection. And to me, they're just sort of a blue sky estimate. You got to remember, Honda is a real good company, but again, they're in the business of selling new cars. And what most car manufacturers have gone to, they know they get rated and ranked based on how low their maintenance schedule is. So they have extended those out to the absolute outside extreme. Now, the reason right. they do that is because they're predicating the life of that vehicle at 100,000 miles. In other words, you drive it 100,000 miles, and then you throw it away. It just goes away. It gets crushed, it, whatever. Most right. folks that I know can't really afford to do that. Most people have to drive them beyond that, a lot of people up to 200,000 miles to consider they've gotten their money. Now, if you're only going to keep it 80, 90, 100,000 miles, and then after that, you really don't care. You're going to crush it or donate it or whatever. You could follow that schedule, and you'll probably be okay. If you're like me and you want to try to push out 200, 250,000 miles out of it, I would go with a more realistic schedule based on the way I operated the vehicle. And right. what I mean by that is, let's say your average trip, say you live in Palmdale and you work somewhere two cities over, and you drive 40, 50 miles every day. Well, right. you can go fairly long on all change under those conditions because you're driving a long, long distance. The engine is getting to full temperature. The oil's getting hot, all the moisture's boiling out, and so it's not going to contaminate nearly as fast. Now, let's say you're like me, and you live about three miles from where you work. Well, I get in my car, I crank it up, I drive to work, it sits there all day. And in three miles, it never gets to operating temperature. I crank it up in the afternoon, I go home, same thing. So by 3,000 miles, my oil is 100% depleted. I mean, it is just completely contaminated, it's full of moisture. I've got to go to 3,000-mile oil changes. If you're driving 40, 50 miles at a time, you could probably push that out five, 6,000 miles. What mm-hmm. I find those maintenance reminders do is they kind of one size fits all. They push those out seven to 10,000 miles. 
And I just think that's a real disservice. What we're seeing more and more and more in the newer vehicles that use the maintenance reminders is a lot of oil leaks. You know, the rear main seals are getting hard because the oil is depleting. Valve mm-hmm. cover gaskets are starting to leak a lot more. Actually, engines. We have been seeing a lot of uh, increase failure. in engine failure lately. Yeah, probably in the last five years, we've changed more engines than we did in the first 25 years we're in business. Timing change, stretching, and all that. And it's all because of the extended maintenance intervals. So, again, depending on the way you drive, you know what I really, really recommend to all my customers, Jim, is just to bring the vehicle to me once a year. Pick them off, whatever's good for you. Once a year, bring it in. Let me review your maintenance. And then I can tell you, because most people are going to drive twelve to 15,000 miles that's average, a year. Average. So that's going to keep you right on schedule. You're never going to be too far behind on anything. And it's just a way, way more cost-effective way, in my opinion, of doing it. It's way easier than trying to, well, let's see now, how many at this, how many. Just find a good, reliable shop. And once right. a year, bring it to them. Have them do a general inspection on the car. And just let go that way. And that way, I think you'll be way, way dollars ahead. And there's actually a article on our website about how to select a great shop. Yeah, a couple of them. There's several of them there. And just go on the contact bar, type in, um, just, give, me a, give me the reference there. <laughs> just great shop great or something shop. like that. Look on go. the front page. There's a link on the front page. And okay. that'll give you some guidelines as how to look for a shop. Yeah. I've got a good one here. And great. I, I use. Um, yeah, great. And uh, it would be a little bit of a commute to come all the way to Louisiana. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but we sure like to see you. That's right. That's right. Well, you can really get all changes there. I'm telling you. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. Hey, Jim, yes, why, sir, you send, thank why, you. why don't you send me an email on my website, and I'll get you get your email address and your address from you, and I'll send you an Agco T-shirt. Oh, that'd be great. All right, man. Thanks right, for calling. Thank you. Great, great. show. Thank, thank you. Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you happen to be in Baton Rouge or anywhere else. That's it. You can just give us a call, and we'll get your questions answered for you. We get a lot of folks from out of state and even out of the country who send us emails every day. I generally receive maybe 20 emails a day with different questions and all. Right. We've actually got one here from, I hope I don't mess this up, but it's Mr. Thomas Gookin. Okay. I believe he's in actually in Arizona. Okay. Sent us an email. And he's actually working on an old 37 Ford Coupe. He's got it modified, got a Chevy 350 in it. Okay. And he was asking about using joint tape on a brake line connection. Right. Which is a big no-no. Right. Because the way that joint works is it's actually a double flare and a, a single flare on the other side, and they mate together. Right. And that nut holds them tight. All the nut does is pushes the two flares together. Right. The holds the flare seats together. the actual seal. Correct. And a lot of times people will maybe mistakenly try to use pipe thread on that. That will not work because the pipe is not going to be sealed to the uh, nut. Correct. And if you use a pipe fitting like, say, a nipple, then you don't have a way to connect a nipple to the rest of the system That because you can't put like a coupling, you can't put a ferrule fitting or uh-huh. anything on a, a hydraulic brake line. You know, the pressure is way, way, way too high for that. Right. That is what that double flare is designed for, is to work with that type of pressure. Correct. You know, a ferrule fitting like you might use, say, on a fuel plumbing. line or a plumbing line or right. a water line, it's designed to work up to about 30, 40 pounds of pressure. And a brake system on light braking probably has 600 pounds of pressure. On heavy braking, may exceed 1,500 to 2,000 pounds of pressure. Right, and it will actually blow that type of fitting apart. Right. So you just can't handle it. That's just not designed for that. And another thing is you always use steel brake lines. You never use a copper line uh-huh. or brass line. They're just not strong enough, no type of brass fittings. Right. You Everything actually- in a brake system is going to be made out of either steel or stainless steel and a double inverted flare right you actually have to have a special tool to make that flare that's right correctly 
Yeah, you can do a regular flyer, but that's not good enough because you have to do a flyer. Then there's another tool which crushes it in and it reflyers it so that it's a double piece of metal there. Right. And it's called a double inverted flyer. That's what seals the system. The little nut that screws down is not actually a seal at all. That's only applying pressure to the double flyer, which is the correct seal correct if the flare wasn't there the pipe would just come right out of the nut right so there's there's really no need to put any type of seal or anything on the on the nut it's just not going to do anything exactly and just be sure you got double flares on every single connection in the system and uh, you'll be real fine after that there you go that's question (laughs) (laughs) we've actually got several more emails here if you'd like to go through them yeah let's go through okay one more for the break all right we've got let's see this is a very interesting one from mr tommy waller here in town okay he said he was this is a true story from mr waller now he says he was at a gas station filling up his vehicle okay and he noticed that a lady in the next aisle over had the hood up on her cadillac okay and she was adding oil to it. All right. Well, he thought that was kind of strange, so he went over when he finished and asked if he could lend a hand or, or help her out. Like a southern gentleman. Right. <laughs> and um, she said that, real hesitantly, she said that her oil light came on in her car, mm-hmm. said she only had 20% life remaining. Right. Well, she mistakenly took that as only 20% of oil left in her car. Ah. So she was actually adding more oil to her car. Yep. Madden that other four quarts of the 80% she thought she was lost. Right. Those you lights, ended up checking the stick and... Uh, it was way over about four. four quarts over four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that can happen. There's all kinds of lights and indicators and warnings and stuff on cars now that you got to be very, very careful. They are easily under- mistaken. Oh, they really are. you got to understand what it is that they actually mean right my father when he just bought his vehicle the all life light came on and mm-hmm. he mistook it as no oil pressure yeah so he so, had it towed back to the dealership before yeah. they figured out what was going on <laughs> yeah that, that can really be confusing it can hey we're gonna take one more quick little break april hold on you'll be straight up after this break And that's why Justin Bieber should never, I repeat, never be cloned. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my six-year-old car needs about $2,500 worth of work, a new AC, and tires. You think I should do it or invest in a new car? So how much you paid for it six years ago? $40,000. $40,000. Well, now it's valued at about $10,000, so it costs you 30000 to drive it the last six years. That's $5,000 a year. Well, let's say you keep the car and spend about 2500 on repairs every couple of years, which is about 1200 a year. Way less than a new car, huh? Whoa, sounds like I need to keep my old car. Then bring it to Agco Automotive for regular maintenance, and it will last you even longer. Now that sounds like a good investment. Hey, Al, you got any stock market tips? Oh, for that, you got to tune to my other show, Al's Financial Hour. Learn more about the benefits of AGCO at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. AGCO, it's the place to go. Cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it, but I can't keep punching. Hey, welcome back. You start, if you start listening, this is Lewis Alvesan from Agco Automotive. I got Mr. Brian Terry right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Give us a call. It's 291-6901, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we've got April's been patiently holding. Good morning, April. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Ma'am. I was calling because we have a choice to make. Okay. We have a 2012 Altima, and 
It's got around 35,000 miles on mm-hmm. it. And we also have a 2011 Toyota Camry, and it's got around 65,000 miles. Okay. We were wondering which one would last longer for us. The Camry? More <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's not even a choice. <laughs> yeah. Camry, a Toyota is such a dependable car, and some of the brand new ones are probably not quite as dependable as the older ones, which were legendary, but Toyota is just world-renowned for their durability and their holding up. The Nissan product is not horrible, but they have had a good deal of transmission problems with those, what I consider too low a mileage. Uh, I wouldn't even hesitate. Even at double the mileage, I would keep the Camry. I, th- I think he could be dollars way, way ahead. Just a little routine maintenance on that Camry. It will oh, yeah. go a long way. Yeah, just a little bit of routine maintenance. Get with a good shop. Bring it in once a year for a general inspection, and that car will last until you are tired of seeing it in your driveway. Okay, awesome. Well, All right. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks, thanks for man. calling. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Thank uh-huh. you. Bye-bye. Great. Thank you. All right, we're going right back to our phone lines. We got, I'm sorry, is it Marlo? Marie. Marie, Marie. I'm sorry. <laughs> it, was, it was misspelled. I'm sorry. Hi. Yes, ma'am. Yes, I have a 2007 Buick. Okay. And about between 50 or, yeah, about between 48 miles an hour to 55 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. I got a little shimmy in the front end. Okay. okay. And um, also, when I turn on the air conditioner, I get this, it's kind of like a, a grinding or it sounds like the fan's loose or something like that. Mm, okay. Yeah. Marie, that may be two different problems, although they right. could be related. On the shimmy in the front end, the first thing that I would want to do, either you or someone you know or bring it to someone, have them rotate the tires front to rear. Okay. See if the shimmy either goes away or changes. And what I mean by changes, instead of the steering wheel shaking, you kind of feel it in the seat and the whole car. If that's the case, then it's going to be one of the front tires. Now, it could be as simple that it's not balanced properly, which is a pretty simple operation. They can just rebalance it. It can also be that one of the tires is starting to go bad. What happens is that the air tends to leak between the belts of the tire and separates it sometimes, and it'll get out around. It'll start kind of bouncing, which will cause that kind of shake. Now, if you haven't had tires put on that vehicle yet, the original tires are now seven years old. Yeah, right. if you haven't so changed if the they tires. haven't been changed yet. So you would probably do for a set of tires anyway. If they hadn't been if replaced. If they hadn't been replaced yet. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Now, on the air conditioning, you say when you turn it off, the noise goes away? Well, no. I, it's usually on when I turn on the car. Mm-hmm. And then one day it made, like, a really big noise. And that, it only lasted for about 10 seconds or so. Is it like a squeal? Like a... Kind of uh, noise? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, that is most of the time going to be like a belt that's squealing. It'll be worse when you turn the air conditioner on, only because the air conditioner draws a lot of power. It's probably the largest power consumer on the engine. It okay. takes about 30 horsepower to turn the air conditioner. So in the morning is when you'll usually hear that. When you first crank up, that belt is cold, and so it's a little bit hard, mm-hmm. and you'll get a loud squeal as right. the air conditioning engages. When the engine gets warmer, the belt gets warmer, and it gets a little softer, and it can hold better. Now, most of the time on that, either the belt is worn, or there's a part called a belt tensioner. That's a, a spring-loaded device that holds the belt tight. Sometimes those will wear out also, and even if the belt is new, it'll still do that squealing-type thing. Uh, how many miles are on your car? About 53,000. Okay, so fairly low mileage. Yeah, I would probably think the belt is most likely... Okay. And there's actually a little gauge that a shop can use to tell you if the belt's worn. They put it down in little grooves, and it'll tell you, because it's very hard to tell by just looking at it. Right. All righty. Okay, thank you very much. Well, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 
see, boys, I can use the new, new phone, phone number. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going back to our phone lines. Ricky, good morning, Ricky. Yes, good morning. Good so morning. I, have a, I have a 2013 F-154 okay. with a V6 EcoBoost. Yes, sir. And I have about 13,000 miles on it. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to switch to synthetic oil. Is that recommended? Oh, yeah. Well, you've pretty much got to use at least a synthetic blend on that one. I think Ford recommends 5W20 synthetic blend is the minimum. In other words, don't ever put regular oil in it. But I would go with a full synthetic if it were my vehicle. Just because those turbos on that thing are spinning at an incredible speed and they're very, very, very hot, which are both extremely hard on all. And if one of those turbos fails, number one, it's extremely expensive to replace. But worse, let's say it loses a turbo blade and goes through the intake. Well, it's going to look like a grenade went off in that engine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not good. Yeah, you can stick a fork in it. It's done. You know. Uh, so, right. Yeah, I would be running a full synthetic, something like a Mobile One product is the oil that I like best, but most of the full synthetics are good. The reason I say Mobile One, I don't own any stock in the company, but it's just available widely. I mean, you can buy it at Walmart. You can buy it at any parts store. Just about anywhere in the, in the United States It's you can very, find very it. easy to find, and that's important because once you start using a certain brand of oil, you want to stay with the same brand. Because even though they're all good, they're not all necessarily compatible. Some of the additives in them are different. So let's say you go with a Vavilin one week, and the next all change, you go to a Castrol. The next all change, you go to Mobile One. You can end up with some oil consumption problems in your engine because some of the oil additives are not compatible with each other. We see that a lot in the quick oil change places. You know, somebody uh-huh. will take their car to one, and the next time they have their oil change, they'll go somewhere else. Right. Well, those companies use different brands of oil. Right. So we see that a lot. Yeah, if you're capable of changing your own oil, that's best. That's even better. Yeah. And get you a good quality motocraft filter for yeah, that Yeah, use vehicle. the motocraft filter. I, th- I believe that's a 500. Yeah, FL 500S, I believe. I is believe the that's number. the one that goes on, but yeah, the new the, one. The motocraft filter has a silicone drain back valve in it, which holds oil on the top of the engine when you turn the key off. It doesn't drain back to the pan. So it cuts the wear and tear on the engine considerably. Some of the cheap ones may not have that. They may not have a silicone valve. They may have a neoprene valve or no valve at all. So you can end up with some engine issues by not using the proper filter on right that oil, even though it's made for the car the oil actually lubricates and keeps tension on the timing chains and what happens is if the oil pressure drains off those timing chains slap on the guides before the the oil pressure picks back up to put pressure back on them and it tends to break the guides on them mm-hmm. oh so it's probably best just to bring it to the dealership and let them do it, right? Well, I wouldn't do that. Just any good independent shop, or if you want to do it yourself, you can do it yourself. It's not that hard. It's not but, that uh, difficult. Yeah, I would find a good independent shop, or there are actually some quick all change places yes. in the Baton Rouge area that do a fine job. You just got to find them. Don't give out names over the air, but if you want to send me an email on my website, I'll be glad to make some recommendations to you. Or just find somebody that sounds like they know what they're doing and let them go with that. I would stick with one guy. Just have yeah. one guy that you know and trust. Someone that's convenient for you and have him do it each and every time. And if it's not possible, supply your own oil for them. Yeah, you can bring your you own bring oil your and your own, own filter. Right. Uh, just say, look, I'll pay you to change it, but I want this oil and filter in there. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay, man. Thanks Thank for you. calling. All right. Mm, bye-bye. All right. 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive eye, we'd certainly love to have you. Why don't you give us a call? That's it. We'll help you get started or get stopped or That's right. get those check engine lights turned off or whatever you need. That's right. You know, I'm kind of surprised. Well, we have one check engine light call because generally right. check engine lights are one of those things that a lot of people have. I mean, there's literally on a newer car. 2,000 things that can turn that light on. That's a single light. Yeah, just that light. Just a single light. That's right. <laughs> and then count all the other lights because it's probably 25 lights. There it is. And a lot of folks do not realize the complexity of a vehicle that 
you hop in, you hit the button, or you, you turn, turn the, key, the key, it cranks it up, it goes. And that's and, it. Yeah, they're purposely made to isolate you from all the technology you're dealing with sure. because you know, nobody wants to have to think about all that stuff. But you can take something as simple as a Ford Focus has 70 computers on board. Seven zero. Seven zero computers right. on board, which are all talking, interfacing. I mean, you know, at your home or in your office, you may have four, three, four, five computers on network. You know how hard right. it is to keep running? I know. <laughs> and, they're I know. Not, and they're not bouncing down the road and getting slammed on and off all the time. That's and, it. Uh, batteries going dead and all those sorts of things. Right. But yeah, that check engine light is one of those things that you're going to, it's just kind of a, I guess a... Well, it's going to come on. Yeah, it's a fact of life. Right, it's going to happen. You need to be very aware and take care of it as fast as possible. Yeah. Because if you don't, this is an early warning. It is telling you now you have a problem. We need to get this problem fixed now before it gets worse and starts destroying other items in the vehicle. It's very much like an early warning system or maybe a fire alarm in uh, your home. You, You don't just ignore it because it's not going to get better. No. It may go out. The light may turn itself off. Well, the house may burn down. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it'll, just, go, it'll go out then. <laughs> and what I'm saying is just because the light goes out, the problem is not fixed. That's right. It may cycle on and off depending on the conditions. Correct. And the, the test that's running at the time. The light. We're going to talk a little bit more about that when we get back. We're going to talk uh, to Herb. Good morning, Herb. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. You was talking about the oil a while ago. You need oil refiners to have what they call decoking units, and that's something that's to add mess. Mm-hmm. And they don't get it all out. And uh, when you... From my experience, man, when you shut that turbo down, well, that oil flow stops, so, so you're going to cook what's in there. That's right. In that bearing, and it's going to slowly coat, 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 you know, and grow the hole up. Mm-hmm. And and pure synthetic doesn't have any coke in it, so that's right. a great advantage on that turbo by running synthetic. Absolutely. If I had a turbocharged vehicle, I would certainly use oh, most synthetic definitely. oil in it. It's just cheap insurance. I mean, and they do require a synthetic blend. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people don't realize that, and they'll put just regular oil in them, and, man, you'll definitely have problems down the road. Yeah, when I drove diesel, I always let them idle a little bit after pouring. Not a bad um, idea. Right. Mm-hmm. It gets cool the thing down a little bit. Yep. Okie doke, that's all I wanted to pass on. All right, Herb. Well, thanks thank you, man. All right, I can never found y'all. <laughs> yeah, I, I gave up last week, and then I finally just called a number anyhow, and the man told me y'all moved. Yeah, yeah, all right. Kind of got a little right. upgrade to FM. There you go. Okay. All right. Thank thanks for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901. And let's see, I think we can sneak a little call in before the break. We got right. Luke on the line. Good morning, Luke. Hey, good morning. Yes, sir. I've got a 2004 Cadillac DeVille, uh-huh. and uh, it's uh, it's got a rough, erratic idle. Okay. It's not like a dead miss, but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's erratic in an idle. Okay. Luke, I can tell you the, the most common cause of that is some type of a vacuum leak. And it doesn't necessarily have to be the conventional vacuum leak like we think of, like a broken hose or anything, although it could be. But it could be something like, is that a 4.6 liter? Yes, sir. Okay, the North Star. I'm going to tell you the most common thing we see on there, where the throttle body attaches to the engine. There is actually a rubber bellows that goes through the engine and goes to the intake manifold. That rubber bellows will get deteriorated in time and get a little crack in it. And when it does, it starts sucking air right there. Now, that air is on the other side of the airflow meter, so the engine doesn't know that it's entering. So it starts to lean the fuel-air mixture out, and it starts to give you that rough, surging idle. And it may vary. It may be a lot worse when the engine's cold. It may get better when it warms up because the oxygen sensors can kind of allow for it a little bit once the engine's in the closed loop. But when it's cold, it's going to really be rough. That's one very common thing we see on the 4.6s. Okay. Well, thank you very much. All righty, man. 
Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take one last quick little break, and we will be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. And that's why you never put a dead or live octopus in the microwave. Hey, it's the Ask Alphonse Show with me, Alphonse the Know-It-All Cajun. Hey! Caller, what you want to know? Alphonse, my old truck needs some repairs. Or should I buy a new one to save money? Well, let me get out my calculator here. Let's say a new truck costs about $35,000 plus $3,500 or so in taxes, then higher insurance. And you know, in about three years, the value is going to drop to about $15,000. That's $8,000 a year just to drive it. Wow, I've never thought of it like that. I suggest taking it to Agco Automotive for a general inspection to see if your old truck is worth keeping, which I think it is. And if so, keep bringing it to Agco for regular maintenance, and you'll be able to drive it for a whole lot longer. And I can spend money on other things like my beautiful wife. I'm assuming she's right there in the room with you, huh? Alphonse, you do know it all, don't you? Learn more about the benefits of Agco at agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O dot com. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvin, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. That'll get you right straight to us. Got a bunch of lines wide open. That's right, and we still got a few minutes to get your call answered live today. That's right. Now, you know, just in case you don't get a chance to call in or something maybe occurs to you during the week. Even next week at midnight. There you go. You can, you can send Louis an email, and he will answer your question and get it back to you within 24 hours usually if it's during the day working hours type deal you get you back pretty quick pretty quick but if it's after about 8 30 well i'm sleeping he's sleeping <laughs> i'm an old man i go to bed at 8 30 okay i'm sorry i'm up at five but i go to bed at 8 30 <laughs> just now, the way it is that's it now five o'clock in the morning your email will be going off that's right and you have a question that's have right. your answer back yeah look at that time on that email when it comes back if you see them at 5 a.m that's not unusual because <laughs> that's what i'm doing that kind of stuff that's it uh, we got an email there and this is not that unusual but fella in nigeria Correct. He actually has a Nissan Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Was having an overheating problem, and he took his vehicle to his mechanic. His mechanic suggested that he takes the thermostat out and actually change the radiator. Right. And that is two things. You know, first thing we need to do is find out why. Why is it overheating, and when does it overheat? That's correct. Those are the two questions we need to know specifically: is when. Yeah. Because there's two different paths you need to go down if it overheats when you're driving or if it overheats when you're sitting still. Well, that's right, because if it overheats when the vehicle's sitting still, we're into some type of an airflow issue. And if we're not moving enough air through the radiator or something like that, if it overheats when we're driving down the road, that's not an issue because we already have 30, 40 mile an hour wind going through that radio. We don't Correct. even need a fan at this point. So if it's overheating going down the road, then we're looking at some type of capacity issue, something like a plugged up radiator uh-huh. or maybe a bad thermostat or something or like that, blown head gasket. Exactly. We're generating more heat than we can get rid of. Correct. Now, as far as removing the thermostat, that is a absolute dead no-no because a thermostat, when the engine gets to operating temperature, is fully open. You've got 100% flow, the same as though it were removed. Correct. So it's not going to ever increase cooling to remove the thermostat. Now, what it can do is that the thermostat closes when the engine's cold because a cold-running engine, number one, burns a lot more fuel, but number two, it wears a lot faster. Uh-huh. The oil is not getting to full temperature. It's not lubricating as well. You can end up with a lot more engine wear, a lot more fuel consumption. You can also end up with problems of local hot spots in the engine because the thermostat restricts flow to cause it to flow all the way through the engine, all the way to the back cylinders. Right, so it heats front to back, back to front, 
All from bottom up. Right. If, Everything is the same temp. If, let's say, you remove the thermostat, now you're just pumping around in a little loop, and it may be not going out completely. So you can actually end up ruining the engine by removing a thermostat. Yes, you can. And the vehicle was designed to work with that thermostat and with that radiator under any conditions. With that temperature thermostat. That is correct. So there's never going to be a reason. A lot of times when people have a problem, they're tempted, well, let's go start modifying things. Well, no, right. no, no. We don't need to modify. Let's just put it back the way it goes. And find out why it's overheating with the original things. Without messing anything else up. Correct. Now, on most modern vehicles, if you remove the thermostat, it's going to set a check engine light. Sure. Because, because it's, it's going to give it a set amount of time, and if it doesn't get to an operating temperature within that time, it'll set a PO128 code. Correct. And you won't be able to get an inspection sticker if you're in the Baton Rouge area uh-huh. or a lot of places. Like five parish area right, here. Or anywhere where they have emissions testing. Correct. Uh, California is that way and a lot of other states are as well. If a check engine light is on, you're not going to be able to get an inspection sticker. But more to the point, you're going to burn a lot more fuel because when an engine is cold, when it's below temperature, modern engines do not have a carburetor. They do not have a choke. Right. So when they're below a certain temperature, what they do is they increase the pulse width on the injector to give it more fuel because a coal engine is less efficient and needs more, it needs fuel, more to run. fuel to run. Correct. So you can drop fuel mileage several miles to the gallon, maybe six, seven miles to the gallon by removing a thermostat. And the price of fuel nowadays, I, I want to use as much of it as I can. Yeah, as, as little as I possibly can. What you do is you're spending a whole lot of money, burn a whole lot of fuel to wear your engine out sooner. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely a no-no there. Do right. not remove the thermostat diagnose the problem and then find out what's wrong now on a radiator if you suspect that it's not flowing enough again they're very very simple tests that a shop can do they can check the inlet temperature and check the outlet temperature and there's a chart that tells you how much the temperature should drop across that radiator Uh if you're getting insufficient drop or even more extensive you can take the radiator out send it to a radiator shop and they can do a flow test correct see if it's flowing the proper amount because what a radiator is a series of little flumes or tubes that flow coolant through and then the air flows across them and removes the heat right now if some of those tubes are plugged up but not all it may do fine at an idle because the engine load is fairly low but when you start driving down roads 60 70 miles an hour you have a lot more load on it it just doesn't have the capacity to handle it and so the engine would start overheating at higher speed. Mm-hmm. Kind of one tip off, let's say you reach over and you turn the heater on and put it on high and the temperature comes, comes way down. down. Right. That's kind of a tip off at that you may have something like a bad radiator. So what you've done is you've actually increased the cooling capacity of the, of the cooling system. That's absolutely by right. By the, the heater up. Well, the heater is nothing more than a little tiny radiator. That's all it is. It's a radiator and the fan removes the heat from that radiator and uses it to heat the passenger compartment in the car. But it's getting the heat from the engine. So if your engine radiator is below capacity, you turn the heater on high, it's going to give you additional capacity. And a lot of times when you've got an engine that's starting to overheat on you and you just can't stop immediately, you can use that as like a little trick. You as turn long, the heater on as long as you can stay in the car. I was going to say, as long as you can stay in there with it. Well, if you got to put all the windows down and... Well, if you got your wife in the car and it's August 15th and it's uh, 190 degrees out there, you, yeah, know, you, you better you, find somewhere to pull over. Well, quick. you better just go ahead and burn the motor up. <laughs> yeah. Best is to pull off, call sure. a wrecker, and have them come and tow the car because I'll tell you, you are not ever going to save enough money no. on a wrecker bill or anything to pay for one mm. engine overheat. Wrecker bill is under $100 right. anywhere local and. And you're never going to save that, like you said. Yeah, if that engine is like most modern engines, it probably has aluminum cylinder heads sure. on it. At very least, you're going to warp the cylinder heads, possibly crack a cylinder head, blow a head gasket. Now At, you're up in the $2,000 range. For a used engine. Yeah, that's just to replace the head gaskets and, and possibly the head. But 
what can happen is that you can actually prevent all of that. Sure. If you just shut it off, when you see that temperature start to get up, the reason that's so critical on older cars, let's say you had a 65 model Impala. Right, you had cast iron heads, you had a cast iron well, block. And the engine only ran 165 degrees exactly. when it was fully at temperature. Well, an engine now runs 195 to 210 degrees. I've seen fans come on at 215. Yeah, 230 on some so, of the GM products. Yeah. So the engine's running a lot hotter. So when it goes too hot on that gauge, it is much, 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 much too hot. And around 240 degrees is kind of the kiss of death. Once right. you start hitting 240, you are tearing things up got an article on the website about what happens when an engine overheats and it goes into the dynamics of metal expansion uh-huh. the similar metals expanding and the forces that act on the engine when it starts to overheat great article yeah once it gets to around 240 you probably have some damage and if it gets much over 240 you're probably going to have irreparable damage right pistons start to hit the cylinder walls those sorts of things galls it up it's just not worth it way 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 cheaper to go ahead and just call a wrecker get the car towed in and go and from there right you'd be much better much better off yeah, i tell you i believe we are just about the end of our time again wow they're throwing us out <laughs> <laughs> that's right i want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every saturday morning on the automotive hour i'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week and tell your friends and go to itunes and stitchers and all those great podcast services and give us a written rating yeah that helps to move us up in the ratings and also makes our day that's it we actually got 680 48 subscribers on stitcher right that's, that's pretty good bit. that's pretty darn good i'm bit. pretty happy with that <laughs> Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.